Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Gavin. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at the new songs featured on the Dirt soundtrack by Motley Crue. Uh, and in addition to that, we're going to pick up a bunch of miscellaneous songs that we haven't talked about along the way, uh, primarily because they haven't been featured on albums of full original material. But we just thought since this will probably be the last time we'll be talking about Motley Crue, uh, we would uh, pick up some miscellanea along the way. So before we uh, jump into the dirt, I guess the first couple songs we should talk about were on the 1998 Motley Crue Greatest Hits album, uh, starting with Bitter Pill. Um. I, I got to be perfectly honest, a lot of these songs that came out, that none of them particularly stood out to me. This sounds a little bit sort of, was this the Karabi era or whatever, or almost? Well, this is post-Karabi when <laughs> Vince Neil had come back after Generation Swine. This is, okay. this is the one that, uh, you know, depending on how you read the lyrics, I think the most interesting thing about the song is that it can either be read as drugs being a metaphor for a woman or a woman being a metaphor for drugs. It kind of works either right. way. Right, yeah, yeah, okay, that's exactly what I got from it. Yeah, that's that's about all I took from it. It really didn't, again, it, it didn't stand out to me like in any way at all. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Even my notes, I didn't really think of anything to write down about it. So, I, Mike, tell me something about it that I missed. Okay. Uh, well, before we started the podcast, I was saying that uh, I would say at least half of these songs that, that, we, that we chose for today's discussion, they kind of don't sound like Motley Crue songs in a way. They sound like songs uh, by other bands in a way, uh, other bands that were, you know, around when Motley was playing and also maybe some bands that, um, you know, some of the musical ideas, I think, you know, refer to some, some other bands prior to Motley Crue forming, but I'll get into that now. Um, yeah, this song is one of the songs that doesn't really sound like Motley Crue to me. I like the chord changes. The ascending sort of has to chord changes are cool. Uh, it's good, you know, building into the chorus. Uh, but that whole chorus section and, you know, at the end of the chorus where it's like ascending, descending chords, it reminds me of a band, uh, New England, that uh, Paul mm. Stanley had produced. Um, particularly, I think, on, on a Walking Wild album. There's a lot of these sort of, you know, sweeping chords and descending chord changes that reminds me so much especially with the uh, especially with the uh, the chorus guitar or the leslie guitar at the end of the chorus um you know that was that was sort of my takeaway but i mean really again i don't really think the song sounds like a monte Cruz song um i think you know it's well executed i think vince is singing well here um i definitely john to your point i i, I kind of suspected that this was either influenced or you know spurred from you know the, the karabi era as well in a way you know because it's, it's, it's a little more melodic than you know, like a heavy Motley Crue thing that you would expect. Right. Yeah, there's kind of a weird energy on this track and on the next one, Enslaved, where um, like the, the reciprocity between the, the lyrics and the music is, seems kind of out of whack. You know, like the, the that riff that, um, that during the verse is real heavy. Um, yeah. But then it, it it goes off in this weird melodic thing, and just that both of these tracks like seem to have parts where they just lose forward momentum and lose energy. Yeah, it, it's not mm -hmm. fit. It's almost like a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. It doesn't really work. I mean, the parts on their own work, but then when you put them together, is it working well as a, a unit? Debatable. Yeah, um, and the other thing is, you know, typically. Motley Crue songs have a great reciprocity between the lyric and the and the musical accompaniment. Not so much with this next track, Enslaved, which is a song about looking within to find answers and not being dependent upon anybody else. And mm -hmm. I think it's a really kind of cool, heavy lyric. I think it deserves a better musical accompaniment than than what we have here. Yeah, that, that song really sounded very... Yeah, muddy is the word that I that comes to mind about it. I don't know if it, that was production or whatever, but it just felt like sort of an unfinished song. Um, and uh, your read on the lyrics is um, actually very good, better than I got out of it. What do you think, Mike? 
Yeah, I agree with Dave in, in terms of the lyrics. Uh, it, it's a, you know, I guess it's a cool concept. You know, don't be a slave to anyone else, or yeah, I won't be a slave to anyone else. I mean, it's you know, it's a positive sort of standpoint. Um, but again, I mentioned that some of these songs, you know, sound like they remind me of, of other bands. That whole intro with like it sounds like a talk box and it's kind of a harmonized guitar thing. Uh, that chord structure and that that melody is, is a very journey like. Um, you know, kind of composition away. I immediately thought of like 1987 era journey for some reason. Uh, but then a crazy way it goes into a whole other direction, launches into this crazy uh, Karabi era, you know, you know, Karabi era themed, you know, chromatic heavy riffs in the verse uh, and those kind of tones with the slide, the slide and the wah-wah guitar. It's almost um, like you know, it would be stronger without the intro. Yeah, which I love the intro though. You know, I thought that to me that was my favorite part of the song. But again, okay. these, yeah, you put these song these parts together, and you get like a, it's a weird mix. Like it, it almost doesn't work, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, mean, I like I like both parts of what they are, but I don't know if they work that well together, you know. Yeah, in tandem. So, um, you know, also but to John's point about you know you know sort of sounding like you know heavier, distorted, or you know cluttered. Definitely, I I, went, I didn't really dig the uh, the super distorted guitar in the chorus. I thought that took away from. You know, the vocal delivery in that way. So yeah, again, a, a sort of disjointed song, cool parts, but does it work well as a whole? Again, debatable. Yeah. Right. Well, a lot of these songs seem to be sort of filler brought out to be more than filler. You know what I mean? That's what that seems to be the vibe I was getting from most of these songs. But go ahead. Sorry. What's what what, what next? Yeah. So then we, the next trio of songs that we have are the three songs that were featured on the album that they put out that was a compilation album after the second original reunion called Red, White, and Crew. So there's three songs. There's If I Die Tomorrow, Sick Love Song, and a cover of the Rolling Stones' Street Fighting Man. So, Which, yeah, I couldn't find that. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I can't speak to it then. So you, I'll leave it up to you guys uh, to it, talk about. It, well, if you do find it, it's definitely worth checking out. We're talking about the uh, the Stones too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Mike. Tell tell me about it. I mean, what was it good? I mean, well, we're talking about the Stones too now. Then I guess. Sure. Cool? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right. Go ahead. Um, let me get, pull up my notes here. Sorry. Um, it's notable for one thing, which is it doesn't have Tommy Lee on drums. It has John Freeze of the Vandals. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, wow. Okay. No, yeah. oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, um, well, you know, John, uh, you know, to spoil the surprise, um, it's different, but it's also cool. Um, there's a lot of like, sort of like, you know, a Digitech whammy guitar effect in the intro that is so nutty that you don't even recognize the fact that they're playing Street Fighting Man. You would never even guess that, you know, the song they're going to launch into. Um, but I think what you will take away from it is, um, it's just a reminder of how great of a song this is overall. I mean, the Stones, you know, were on it. I mean, it's like protest era, late 60s, you know, stuff is going crazy and the Stones absolutely captured that. Um, but, you know, Crew definitely does a good job of, you know, delivering the verse. It's, it's, it's heavy. Um, there's a lot of, you know, chromatic riffs that they add to it. And again, I'm just reminded too of that uh, descending riff in the chorus, you know, which is obviously you know taken directly from the Stones. Uh, it's such a jarring riff. It's great. It's killer. Yeah, the the, the arrangement is really interesting because there's like some mm. double time guitar stuff happening in the background that almost reminds me of that pedal point sort of playing that ACDC got into right around mm. Thunderstruck and that that era or who made yeah, who, who who made who yeah 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 for sure and it it definitely adds a cool spice to the song. I think it's actually a cool choice for them too because you know they. You know, the Stones at, at their peak, at their height, were in their own way just as dangerous and debaucherous a band as as Motley Crue was. And and you know, both had reputations for for being, you know, these sort of fighting upstart punks and whatnot. And and so so I think I think it works. I think, you know, they sell the song and you know, it's a good choice. Yeah, and I think too we we said all along throughout you know the Motley Crue discussion that you know they're good at choosing cover tunes that, that work for them you know as a theme or you know that, that are mm -hmm. heavy and you know um, you know and again this, this isn't really necessarily like one of the Stones' biggest hits but it's a well-known song by them I and mean, there's even been tours um, in recent in the last ten years where they've opened you know the set with this song um, and cool I, I I'm sure you pick up Dave on the you know the sleepy L.A. town in the first yeah and the Hollywood reference instead of London yeah. town and all yeah. that yeah. 
continual no. fetishizing of of Hollywood no. by changing a lyric here or two that they that they love to do. And also, you know, I was thinking about so much pop culture uh, is kind of talking about how the working class downtrodden man has a place in society, right? Mm. Like, I mean, really, if you think about it, that's what uh, Rocky is about. That's yeah. what mm-hmm. Rambo yeah. is about. And, and, and that's kind of what heavy metal is about in, a, in the sense <laughs> that, you know, the working class blue collar, uh, you know, guy, maybe not all of them, maybe only, you know, one, once, one in a million of them, but, you know, it's that, that, that beggar's ball that, that, that's release <laughs> that society needs that they too can win the lottery and, and successfully uh, take on life on their own terms. And I think that that kind of feeling comes through with uh, the original Stone song and also on this cover. Yeah. In addition to a musical standpoint, uh, it's cool. The very, very end, like maybe the last 15 seconds, they add like a, a sitar effect, uh-huh. which I, I know that uh, seeing the Stones live a, a couple of times, Ron Wood would play this old Dan Electro, it was like an imitation sitar, and to play that sort of descending riff uh, in the chorus. So it was, it was a nice mm. touch, you know, sort of tip of the hat to, you know, I, I believe there might be some sitar on the, the actual track on the studio track that the Stones did for sure in live presentations in the last 10 years. Mm. Uh, that, was, that was that was prominent. Good catch. I did not pick that up. Yeah. Um, all right. Next one, Sick Love Song. Uh, we'll go. There's two other ones from this record, and we'll yeah. go with next. Uh, Sick Love Song? Okay. Yeah. So this, to me, is the strongest of the three songs. Um, yeah. The, you know, and I and I think this one actually, the verse is probably stronger than the chorus. If there's, you know, if the one thing like the the chorus is okay, but the verse is pretty kick ass. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sure you've written down the words that you. <laughs> which... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, again, it's it's it's. Uh, kind of a self-reflexive thing um, talking about how this song could be the anthem to a uh, diseased relationship <laughs> that's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's all kinds of clever little things. I mean, you know, if you want to get into, um, he gets in the line, can't understand normal thinking, which if you look at the first letters of each of those words, you know, you get the... Uh, Mm-hmm. Right. What he's he's the, yeah. Oh wow! Wow, good catch, Dave. I would have never gotten that. That's. I'm not even yeah. being facetious. That's wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a cool song. It's it's Vince Neil. Then once again, they're kind of they've sort of morphed into this almost pseudo rap thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I noticed. Like it's not like Limp Biscuit, where it's this contrived white boy rap metal thing. It 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 works for the song. It's fast delivery. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's I. Yeah, I don't even know. What would you call that style? I don't even because it it does have sort of a hip hop flavor, but I, I don't know if it's you know I don't even necessarily know that they're informed by that. You know what I mean? It's just sort of the way that they do it. Because yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that stands out to me in this song as well is the way that the lines are delivered and the. Uh, I mean, even the the chorus itself is kind of ca- catchy, and you know, this is this is the one song that I would see, I would expect to see elsewhere. You know what I mean? Rather than just sort of a one-off filler kind of thing. Yeah, and they did play this live on the tour. Oh, they do play it live. Okay. Well, they did. They don't anymore. But Mike, your thoughts about "Sick Love Song"? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, particularly towards the end, where they do this sort of repeating, you know, "The more that you die, the, the, the more that you did it." That's like a Beatles. It's like "Within You, Without You." There's some late '60s Beatles song that has that kind of phrasing. I, to this minute, I can't even think what that song is, which is ridiculous. But uh, again, I mentioned before that some of these songs don't necessarily sound like Motley Crue songs, or they sound like bands, uh, songs from other bands. I, I mentioned previously another podcast, uh, the band Brother Kane. Uh, the chorus uh, totally reminds me of, of Brother Kane uh, Seeds era sounds in terms of the riffs and that, that, that cool like breakdown between like the G and the A chord and it goes back to the, the main riff. You know, it, you know I, it's kind of like, a, yes, this is Motley Crue, but, you know, are they drawing from other, you know, other bands you know, that were around at the time and drawing from the Beatles as well? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a cool interplay of, of influences in a way. And I think this is definitely one of the better songs um, 
on the record. But again, it doesn't really sound like a Motley Crue song. I don't know. I can't, you know, but, but I like it. It stands out. It's a strong track. I would actually argue it sounds more like a Motley Crue song than this next song, If I Die Tomorrow, <laughs> which has a co-write by pop punk band Simple Plan. Um, to me, this song just sounds like a, a generic modern rock song that like a record label would say, you guys need to do this because we need a hit. Right. And, yeah, exactly. And yeah. No, oh, my God. It sounds so generic that I couldn't even think of anything to even say about it except generic like it just seems yeah you said it yourself Dave that's exactly what I would have said someone just told them they needed to have a hit and so that's what they would have written or it sounds like a song that would a band would have been set to write for a um uh what's the word uh like a like a movie soundtrack or something you know what I mean yeah featuring yeah. a song by Motley Crue you know or something like that yeah the only part of this song that it sounds really motley-ish to me is that syncopated, dun, 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 you know, mm-hmm. that thing, which they've used in other songs. But otherwise, yeah. this, this could be any other band. Yeah, it really could be. I mean, it could have been, you know, insert band name, Evanescence or whoever, with that sort of, you know, the, the fourth <laughs> on the bottom of, of the, you know, the major bar chord. I mean, it's, 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 they're above it. You know, they're, they're capable of writing better riffs than that. And just, you know, sort of just, you know, it, yeah, they're, they're beyond it. Um, but I, again, I try to find something positive in it. Um, the intro, again, we're looking at other bands here too. It reminds me of the intro to uh, Guns N' Roses' uh, Civil War from the Usual Illusion albums. You know, the sort of clean, uh, you know, Fendery guitar through like a chorus or whatever. You know, that, that was cool. Um, you know, but again, the chorus sounds like any other sort of, you know, if you want to call it like a goth rock you know, type band of the era. Um, but also too, I was thinking about this. Um, this song also reminds me of at first, doesn't say like a song on. Um, well, uh, Paul Stanley lived to win. You okay. Know, sort of, it, it, the sweeping chords kind of thing, and the, the weird kind of you know bottom end of the chord and stuff. And then I thought, wait a minute. Um, between this and some, obviously not on this song, but on other songs, John Five is involved in, in writing songs, or at least on the soundtrack stuff. So mm. that made me re- rethink of you know the live to win stuff and how sometimes you know it, you know you go back and listen to it. It, it kind of made me want to revisit that record as well. So. You know, always fun to you know, rediscover records through our discussion, but for sure, this, yeah, I and mean, this could have been written by anybody else, and it absolutely does not really sound like a Motley Crue song. Yeah, not, and you're right, it might be the John Five connection. Um, so this next song, Sex, I think this came out as a one-off single, I want to say it was either Crew Fest 1 or Crew Fest 2, it was just like a fun summer like one-off thing that they did um but uh your thoughts on it john i didn't uh i wanted it to be more i figured if any band could write a song about sex it would be motley Crue, and it seemed to be sort of like a generic sex sells and we know that sex sells you know what i mean and it drives everything and you know that kind of stuff i mean it seemed almost sort of cliche musically it's fine it sounds a little modern rockish for when it came out you know what i mean it doesn't sound particularly super motley crewish but it i mean i expected more but i wasn't totally disappointed with it like it's one i don't skip you know what i mean like the music itself is a little um little of its time but i still you know i don't hate it you know what i mean but i again i sort of expected more i, I figured not like Cruz is going to write a song about sex. It's going to be, you know, the the greatest epistle I've ever seen, and it just right. didn't, well, you know, didn't rise up to it. Especially if you're going to name it that, you know. But I don't know. Good, Mike. What do you think? Uh, my takeaways are, you know, the the verse definitely uh, reminds me of Led Zeppelin's Custard Pie with that sort of you know triplet, you know, descending uh, chromatic riff. Da 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 da. Um, the chorus reminded me of Kiss, you know, again, with like big sweeping chord changes and a descending riff at the end of the chorus. You know, I, I, it, it, I don't know, I, I thought, you know, I mean, they're influenced by Kiss and who isn't. So, um, and especially to the bridge, those, the ooze kind of thing, they're, they're very uh, Kiss-like as well. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, again, you know, it's not the most memorable song and it might not sound so much like Motley, but those are the things that, you know, I, I kind of find inspiration in a way. I, you know, I'll go back and listen to physical graffiti. I'll go listen to, you know, 80s, 90s kiss again, just because of Motley. So thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's a little disposable. Um, mm-hmm. I do like the line. This is not a new religion. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most interesting line in the song because there is this thing about sex that, you know, uh, obviously every generation thinks it's the the first generation to discover it. And there's that kind of uh, self-deception that's necessary because if you think about previous generations that you're related to having sex, you'll never want to have sex again. So, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so there is that weird kind of disconnect. I think it, it, it's kind of a fun debaucherous song. And that that riff in the verse is a little generic, the da 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 you know, like thing. Yeah. But it, it's got some space to it. Um, that thing is is an interesting uh, variation, I think, uh, of the sort of thing that Kiss or Led Zeppelin would do. Um, it's a little bit, it's played a little bit differently than I think either of them have actually done. Um, yeah, that's very similar to uh, In the Light, again, from Physical Graffiti. Yeah, it's similar, yeah. not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that 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 hook, that, that um, whoa, whoa, that thing. Yeah. I was trying to think yeah. what that reminded me of. It's, uh, it's the Banana Split song. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it. La, 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 la. Yeah. All right. Well, that so. is certainly a new religion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, hey, again, it's that's another great song. So if you're gonna, you know, steal, steal from the best. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about this song is I just saw my friend's band, KCDC play oh, yeah. at in, at the eagle which is this uh gay rock club in los angeles and it it strikes me that the whole thing of bands like kiss and motley crew you know largely derives the whole hedonistic attitude kind of like anything goes and complete and total decadence and self-indulgent is completely co-opted from gay culture and if you if you look at like the fact that the guys in kiss were essentially surrounded by gay men between sean delaney and neil bogart and uh yeah i mean like yeah yeah, just you know bill coin yeah um it 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 makes sense it makes like it 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 kind of fills in that last little blank bit where you're where you're going like where are they getting this from and then and then you go oh i see yes yeah and they went to the gay snm shops to get the leather and the chains and you know and and as they were doing that they were picking up on some of those attitudes and applying it towards heterosexual middle America. Absolutely, on a similar note, Dave, I just did a show uh, this past weekend with The Claws, again, we played Maui Sugar Mill, and the opening band, band that you know, opened to us was a band called The Cox. Uh-huh. It was the same kind of thing, like, you know, you can just read into what their you know, theme is in terms of their songwriting, but it was great, but like, when I got there, it was a whole like friendly, like almost like party vibe, you know, it was, you know, obviously things are reopening and it's a little scary because there's a lot of people in there, but literally you couldn't fit another person with a shoehorn, but everyone was there to have a good time. Everybody enjoyed the, you know, the opening band and everybody stayed for the rest of the band. It, was, it wasn't like one of those things where we know shows in Los Angeles where you see your band and you bolt and you go do something else. Right. It was like, it was, it was a hang. It was cool. But again, there's definitely that, it, it's a vibe. You know, it's definitely, it, it's, a, it's a community as well. And it was cool to see that uh, in a live situation. Yes, and it is alive and well within that subculture, happy to say. Absolutely. So, um, all right, uh, all bad things. Um, I like the thing that it's sort of a self-reflexive song about themselves, stating that eventually they're going to die, you know, they're, and they're, it's not going to be with a whimper. It's, you know, even with that opening line that just says, if we start being, you know, lame, we're just going to break mm-hmm. up and, that kind of stuff. So I actually kind of liked this song. This is one of my favorite ones of this set that we um, got. I like the riff is pretty strong. Um, And again, I I like that sort of uh, self-reflexive part that isn't too romanticized. You know what I mean? I mean, I know it also talks about relationships ending and things like that, but it seems to be sort of a self-reflection on themselves. You know, like once it, you know, you know, they're, they're talking about themselves being bad, you know, as in sort of evil, but also like if things go wrong or get rotten, 
which they are maybe. I mean, it was definitely works on a lot of different levels. So it was actually, it, I think, a really clever song. Good, Mike, what do you think? I agree. Yeah, I like where it was going uh, from, you know, from the beginning. Um, but again, once it got into, I, I guess overall, too, I should say, I thought, I thought this was really a strong vocal take by Vince. I think a lot of the vocals on these tracks uh, by Vince are, are, are strong. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, the chorus kind of reminded me of like an Alice in Chains or, you know, Kids Carnival Souls kind of thing. Um, but I'll, for me, the coolest thing about the song was the bridge. I like the, you know, the string sort of sounds over the, these cool chord changes in the bridge. That really stood out to me. But yeah, I, I agree in terms of, you know, the, the theme. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a cool way to interpret, um, you know, a, a look back, if you will, and whether or not they want to look forward. Yeah. I mean, I think its power is a little muted now by the fact that they <laughs> didn't end when, you know, the, with the farewell <laughs> tour. But, right. um, but it is a cool, it's a catchy song. And it's a song that um, I love the line about we were the bottom of the food chain. Because yeah, yeah, that is a, a great certain line, yeah. honesty there. Um, there's another line where he says, we, we never said we loved each other after all, that uh, <laughs> kind of strikes me as being, you know, somewhat a rewrite of history. Back in the day, they certainly made a big deal out of their their brotherhood. And somewhere along the line, they've they've rewritten that to, you know, that they all hated each other all, 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 you know. I don't think that was always true. I think that's just kind of what bands <laughs> unfortunately tend to evolve into after a period of time. Um, you know, particularly those guys, but, but I have a, a fond memory too of, you know, my son who I think was six years old or something like that when this song came out and, you know, he loved it. He was singing along, you know, and to him, it was just like, yeah, all bad things should die. Not, not, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Not even picking up on the, the, the wordplay of all good things must come to an end, all bad things must die as well. But, you know, it's definitely, it captures Nikki's playfulness with lyrics and it, it works. It's a song I wouldn't mind if they pulled out live because I think, you know, it, it, it sounds good live and sounds good on the record. Yeah. So, okay, before we get onto the dirt, uh, we, we challenged ourselves. We're gonna pick one song from uh, Demonic and Supersonic Relics each, and we're gonna talk about it. So, uh, right. John, you wanna go first? I picked Monstrous, and there's really not, aside from sort of, it almost sounds unfinished, um, but it, it kind of has a clever couple of lyrics in there about, you know, throwing stones in glass houses and, things like that, but it, it almost feels like an unfinished idea of a song. Um, and I really, I, I kept trying to listen to it to come up with something clever to say about it, but I can't really, it was too short. You know what I mean? It, it just seems like a sketch of a song. Like it doesn't seem like there's really anything that stands out about it. And I really wish I had more to say about it, but that's all I can really say. Well, the one thing that's interesting about it is the, I think the final line of that song is I get sick at the state mm -hmm. of rock, right? Which is a yeah, very, yeah, okay. very hip hop influenced kind of lyric. Cause so much of hip hop is talking about how terrible other hip hop is. That's not your hip hop. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Good point. On that note too, that, Oh, oh, oh is totally from LL Cool J on that type of guy. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, which is yeah. from the Wizard of Oz. Well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which actually, funny that we we'll go back to this here. <laughs> There's a Wizard of Oz <laughs> reference in uh, Enslaved too, when he talks about click oh. your hip heels together yeah, three, three times. times. Yeah. Ruby, the Ruby slippers, right? So. Yeah. Obviously, somewhere in there, Nikki, All probably right. a Wizard of Oz fan. Okay. Yeah, somebody got the Wizard of Oz DVD for Christmas that year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree, John. It, 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 in a way, it's, it's thankfully short, but it's also surprisingly short. Because when I listened to it, I thought, well, these reverb, heavy reverb drums sound so dated, and it sounds like a demo. It sounds like a four-track thing. Yeah, it sounds like a demo. It's like, why would you even bother to release it? But Yeah, and it took me two days to figure out you know, what that OEO thing was. I was like, okay. LL, there it is. Uh, but it, it almost sounds like a, you know, not cutting on like a, almost like a bad Gene Simmons song in a way, you know? And the yeah. coolest thing. Uh -huh. I want to say this song was originally demoed for Dr. Feelgood. Really? I think it's from uh, that era. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I don't have, 
wait, this is, I do have the thing. Wait, um, well, I, wait, I'll get to it. Yeah, because I, I do have the CD, by the way, which probably dates when it was written, but uh, it's unimportant right now. Uh, but I'll wrap up my points. Um, again, Dave, the line you mentioned, you know, I'm sick of the state of rock and roll or state of rock, you know, that's probably like the coolest line in the song. And then all of a sudden the song ends. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it kind of leaves you hanging. Yeah, this is, uh, this is 1988. So this is after Girls and before... Um, feel Good. Yeah, Feel Good, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's really all I got out of it is I just couldn't say anything more. But it was just, it just, like I said, it seems like just a demo. So, all right, what'd you pick, Dave? So I picked the song Mood Ring which I think is a really interesting song because on one hand, on one level, this song sounds like a throwaway, oh, the band is just jamming, having fun, and isn't this kind of a, a joke sort of thing? Um, and yet, if you actually listen to what they're playing, the bass and the guitar, even though it sounds like the guitar is completely improvising, in, in between, um, they're so in sync and they're playing so well together that there is no way that this came out of an improvised jam. So I would love to know what the story is behind the song. My guess is that what they did is they recorded Mick Mars playing with Tommy um, and, and then somebody overdubbed the bass to match the guitar at a later point. And I'm thinking it might've been Mick because he's playing such kind of like over the top, uh, almost like Zappa-esque kind yes. of avant-garde stuff yeah. that, you know, it's not, this is not the kind of stuff that Nicky would typically play on bass. Um, and it's interesting that Mick's even capable of playing stuff like this because you don't really hear him doing it. But it, if you think back to Livewire, that one kind mm. of chromatic thing that he throws in there where it's it's almost like a finger exercise pattern more than an actual major or minor, minor scale, that thing, you know, there he, you know, he does have that within his his repertoire. And then there's this kind of like um Dada-esque Beatles thing where they just throw in these random spoken lines in between each little improv section that um, the guy that's reading them is sort of laughing as he's saying them like he's never seen them before. So you, you imagine that oh. they wrote one on like a piece of paper and they threw them up and they just read them in the order that they came. But it's really kind of, I mean, you know, again, very Zappa-esque. Right. Yeah. Name checking, uh, you know, Charlie Manson is my hero. Janis Joplin knows how to party. Name checking Hendrix, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so so this is like a whole side of Motley Crue that 99 percent of the time we never even see. And I just mm -hmm. think it's really interesting that that the band has this side to them. Yeah. That's what stood out to me as as well. Although I don't, I don't necessarily. That's funny you say that because I can't even stand to listen to the song. You know what I mean? I, I don't even like the lyrics that they're saying. You know what I mean? It seems, it seems almost trite uh, or cliche. You know what I mean? To be name checking who they're name checking again. But that that's funny. Now you're gonna make me want to go back and listen to it because I never really took it seriously at all. Huh? Interesting. All right, Mike, what? Yeah, good. Yeah, it, it's definitely easy to dismiss as just a throwaway track, but it, it's a very sophisticated and, and complex and clever arrangement in a way, and you know, to the point, too, where um, you know, there's a sense of humor to it. In, in a way, it's almost like, again, like you said, Dave, it's almost like somebody said, okay, let everybody throw like, you know, uh, a, you know a line and, and throw it into the pot, and we'll pull it out, and you, you read it, and, and that was it, you know, and, and, and you, can, you can hear them laughing. Yeah. When they're reading some of these lines, it's great. Um, but I also love the fact that you know, I, I sort of call it, um, you know, to me, California natives have what I call, it, you know, an L.A. California accent. And you can hear that throughout this track when they're reading these lines, man. It's, it's so great. I, you know, I love it. But for sure, Dave, absolutely. You picked up on the Zappa thing for sure, because I was going to say the same thing. Um, but again, in terms of just the sophisticated arrangement, even when they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live with Hendrix, 
like right after that they go into that sort of flat fifth uh intro to purple haze uh -huh. so there's it, it it's way deep and there's so much more to delve into in, into this thing and the more you listen to it i think the more you're going to take away from it. It, it it's cool i like this song a lot it, it cracked me up and it, i'm sure it was a lot of fun to do but i'm sure it's also a lot of work but it comes off as a way like to say the band's blown off some steam and this is what we're going to do but there's a lot more thought behind it a lot and it's so creative i love it yeah you you wonder about the line i sold a, a light bulb to rat right yeah um yeah because i have two theories about that line one is that they built a drum light riser uh for, that had light bulbs in it that at one point they ended up selling to rat um, yeah. So it could be a reference to that. But, um, you know, before that, when uh, Nicky was in London or whatever, he had a day job where he was, you know, uh, one of the, the, the big day jobs for rockers was this kind of semi-scam where you would call up offices and try to sell them toner or light bulbs <laughs> or or whatever, you know, office pretending, supplies, yeah, yeah, office supplies, pretending like they were already buying them from you, but really they weren't. And, you know, if yeah. you could just get somebody to sign off on it, then you could, you know, make a percentage of it. And they would hire anybody because it was you know, borderline legal. And uh, <laughs> so I know that that's a job that Nikki had. So I, it's, it's got to be a reference to one or, or, or both of those, uh, those things. Good call. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what song did you choose, Mike? I chose So Good, So Bad. Um, and the reason for doing so, I'm going to point the notes again, kids. Um, at first, I thought this sounded like uh, Too Fast for Love era crew, but then I looked at the, the liner notes, and it's uh, definitely, I think, around the era of Theater of Pain. Or, you know, I'm sorry, like between like um, Shout of the Devil and Theater of Pain. And I chose this song too because, uh, you know, the tones sound like that era for sure. Um, you know, and the vocals, you know, sort of, it, it sounds like old Motley Crue. You know, we're talking like really early Motley Crue before they got a little more sophisticated in terms of production and stuff. Um, and I like the fact too that. Uh, yeah, this this also kind of sounds like a, a demo, but it sounds like a demo that was recorded in the studio. And I love the fact that when you listen to it with headphones on, it sounds like you're in the room with those guys, and they're just blasting out. I mean, there's there's mic microphones are overloading, and it's just it's crank. You know, I, wouldn't you love to be in the studio with these guys when they're laying down a backing track? It'd be so killer to hear. So for me personally, I love hearing. You know, it sounds like a band being a band playing together as a band. And you know, it was cool to just have this little time capsule. You know, uh, of you know the classic era Motley Crue. Yeah, I think the reason why this song never made it onto a real album is because it's not especially melodic, mm. uh, especially the verses. You, you know, I mean, Vince is kind of just hanging on the notes of of the implied by the chords, but it's not particularly memorable or catchy. Mm. No, yeah, and, and again, too, you guys know sometimes my reasons for liking a song might not have to be the fact that it's got a great melody or great lyric. <laughs> you know, but either way, I mean, it, it's cool. I mean, it, it's it's of the time. It's it's of the time period. And I, I enjoyed hearing that. You know, it, again, it just sounds like Motley Crue should sound, which is you know full blast, full volume, and, and cranking out. Yeah, and good luck trying to find those lyrics online because they don't exist. Well, you know, I was going to ask you guys. Um, I know the lyrics are in um, the Dirt soundtrack. Um, I don't think they're in Supersonic and Demonic Relics, but are they in, in uh, Red, White, and Crew or the Greatest Hits? You know, that know I'd that. have to I'd have to double check. I was just thinking about that song specifically. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So. The, the last original release by Motley Crue, the Dirt soundtrack that accompanies the Dirt movie on Netflix, uh, contains four new songs. Uh, it was released on March 22nd, 2019, produced by Bob Rock with, uh, and also Dave Donnelly. And uh, the first song, the single, I guess you could call it, uh, The Dirt. Um. It sounds like they're writing to the time period that it's released in. The appearance by Machine Gun Kelly, or Machine Gun, is that who it is? Machine Gun Kelly, that rapper, yes. white yes. boy rapper? Yeah, okay. He plays Tommy Lee um, in the Dirt movie. Right, right. Is done. Um, is kind of interesting, but not, I find it kind of over the top. The one interesting thing, I mean, I like the, um, the idea of what dirt is, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. 
um, you know, give me the information that is, you know, the bad stuff or whatever, which I find kind of interesting. Um, what I find interesting about this collection of songs is it appears that it's four songs, right? Four songs, um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that three of them are rewrites of the same of this song. I mean, they're all. I mean, not sorry. No, no that, that's not what I'm saying. They're all the same there's song. A, they're all the theme thematically the, way, yeah. the same mm-hmm. song, and it's almost like, well, why didn't you just spend more time fleshing this song out? Maybe lose Machine Gun Kelly and add something else to it. You know what I mean? But well, so actually, it's interesting that you say that they wrote nine songs. <laughs> for this release yeah. uh, that were all called The Dirt, nine different songs. And then they whittled uh, it down to these three and any one of these three songs could be called The Dirt, but they just mm-hmm. ended up changing the title of the other two. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't get it. I, I don't care. I mean, like, I like this song because it sort of stands out at first. It's got a nice riff to it. The, um, you can't listen to it in a car with an 11 year old. Um, <laughs> You know, because I immediately, as soon as he goes, you know, big whatever, I'm like, okay, this one isn't suitable for you. And, you know. Oh, yeah, that last line. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're done. Um, so I just, I, um, you know, it, it's fine. You know what I mean? I mean, I like the idea of writing a theme song to the, you know, but again, it's like um, the stuff they wrote for Saints of Los Angeles seems more well done than this song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm like in terms of like sort of reminiscing about their careers or their lives or whatever. Um, these, these three songs all seem to be like, maybe if you could just whittle this down to one, it would be as good as saints of Los Angeles or, you know, one of the songs on, you know, one of the good songs on saints of Los Angeles. So that's my take, Mike. Uh, again, I, I didn't, I didn't. I never had the soundtrack to the dirt, and I had to purchase it uh, as we just in order to do this podcast, which I was happy to do. Um, when I first heard this opening track, I thought it, it almost sounds like again, like you, know, you mentioned, like like the opening to like a, a, a movie, like an action movie. You know, mm-hmm. I think musically it's it's interesting in that way because I think it would work. I mean, I'm, again, I haven't seen the dirt yet either, so I'm still playing catch up here. But uh, you know, to me, I my without seeing the dirt, I wonder if like, this the song was you know, the first song you know at the beginning of the. Of the the documentary, you know, debatable. I don't know. I've not seen it. Um, but you know, overall, I think these songs for sure, because I know before the podcast, I was saying that a lot of these songs don't necessarily sound like Motley Crue songs. And this whole batch of four songs to me doesn't sound like Motley Crue in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some themes there, you know, lyrically that, you know, there are Motley Crue themes as well, but, um, the production, I was surprised to know that it was Bob Rock that produced it because, there are a couple songs on the soundtrack that to me sound like a Bo Hill kind of winger production in a way. It's not, it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but, but just in terms of like, when I say it doesn't sound like Motley Crue, there's a lot, it sounds like there's a lot of other people that aren't in Motley Crue that are singing background vocals. And I think John Fye does some additional guitars on, on these tracks too. So, you know, maybe that's the reason why to me, it sounds like a, a different band. Well, there's a lot of people that wrote this song, right? I mean, yeah. Nikki yeah. Six, John Five, uh, Sahaj, Ticotin, I think mm-hmm. is how you would pronounce that. Colson Baker, t- and then the rest of Motley Crue is listed. So um, I think this is the strongest of the four songs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. The, the line that sticks out that, that feels like Motley Crue to me is, give me what I want till it hurts. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that diabetic begging for another candy cane uh you know knowing that on on one hand it's unhealthy for them and yet on on the other hand uh not being willing to give up that indulgence even if it ultimately causes you uh pain and or death and i think that's definitely an attitude that has defined motley Crue over over the ages uh you know it, it reminds me of that that uh, MTV catchphrase that they used uh, for a while. The problem with instant gratification is it's not quick enough. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of like the Machine Gun Kelly thing, to be honest. I think it's interesting. Uh, there was originally a, one line that Nikki Six asked him to change uh, in this, yeah. where uh, he referenced crystal meth. 
And uh, Nikki Six said, take that out. I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, be seen like propagating that or or whatever. And I mean, to be fair, that I don't think is ever. (laughs) But cocaine is okay. Cocaine, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's a gentleman's drug. Right. (laughs) Coke and heroin were probably more their drugs of choice um, when they had a choice. But, Nonetheless, I think it's it's pretty it's a pretty good song. I would like to hear this on the stadium tour. I think it. it yeah, would be. I would too. And I think it sounds fresh and it sounds you know, like it's well executed in terms of the, the playing. You know, um, and I like the har- the vocal harmonies during the chorus are really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think that's there's got to be at least two or three other people that you know aren't necessarily in the band doing those background vocals. It, it, it's a it's a cool layer that I, that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Less to say about <laughs> these next two, but uh, Ride With the Devil. Uh, it seems like they're rewriting the first song. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I like is the you'll see things you can't unsee or something yeah, like that. Come on, or, baby, yeah. ride with me. I'll show you things you can't you unsee. Can't. Yeah, I thought that was kind of clever. Line. but yeah. yeah, that's a good line. But again, it, it seems like a rewrite of the first song. And again, there's nothing else that stands out about it. I mean, Ride With the Devil is such a cliche that it's just what's the point you know why not just not do it well then too i mean they just use that line in the verse it's not in the chorus right well depending on how you define the chorus yeah okay i mean each each one of the choruses in this song and the next song they talk about um the dirt as well yeah yeah um well you know i'll just jump ahead here i mean to me Again, I see the John Five connection again because this also reminded me of something that would have been on Paul Stanley's Live to Win, you know, mm. the sort of sweeping chord changes and stuff. Um, you know, the chorus is catchy, but again, I, I think the production sounds like Bo Hill, like, you know, first two Winger album you know, era kind of stuff, you know. I don't know. I, I, again, I'm still surprised that, that it's Bob Rock. I mean, I think it's Bob Rock in terms of, you know, the guitars and the drums sounding heavy and big, but uh, the whole vocal production is absolutely winger in my opinion and again i mean that in the best way so interesting all right crash and burn uh kind of some clever lyrics take it to the top to see us crash and burn or whatever again another rewrite of the first song um i i like this when it's a little catchier than the ride with the devil or whatever but other than that nothing else really particularly stands out to me mike yeah, let me grab my notes here and um, yeah, uh, I like the sort of edgy tone of the guitar at the beginning um, and the sort of panning, you know, intro effects that are cool. Um, I again, this is all musical perspective and tone analyzation, but um, that, that sort of um, keyboard sound at, at the beginning too on the verse is definitely reminiscent of Def Leppard uh, Rock of Ages, you know, uh, where there's like there's no guitars, just kind of you know, it's a cool thing. Uh, again, this chorus reminds me of something that either you know Kiss would have done, or or Paul Stanley and Live to Win, or even you know Def Leppard from the, their later records, um, you know, in the '90s, mm-hmm. uh, with these big sweeping chord changes and stuff. And I I think the breakdown with the loops, you know, again that's that's a dated concept right out of the gate. They could have you know, avoided that. Uh, again, the the background vocals don't sound like it's the guys in Motley Crue. It sounds like other people and the song doesn't really sound like a Motley Crue song to me and I thought the coolest thing that I, I thought that they slipped in was like right around three minutes 30 seconds they slip in the uh descending riff to Helter Skelter ah. oh yeah 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 good it's, point it's, yeah it's, it's tucked in there one time you know and they, they never repeat it but it's a cool little uh enhancement yeah it and catch, I, I Mike. Think- I think you're probably right. I mean, John Five is a huge Kiss fan, so um, absolutely the fact yeah. that that some of that influence of some of his influences would show up in a song like this, you know. Well, I, and all, to that point too, I think he plays on a few tracks on the Live to Win record, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like the. I kind of like the the chorus. The I'm so alive. I. I don't know why I had to crash and burn um, is, is kind of interesting lyrically, but I, you know, again, I think these two songs are sort of also rands that weren't overall as strong as, as the dirt. Um, and then finally we have the cover like a virgin. Which actually is the thing that became the most interesting to me 
on this uh, uh, album because one, it's actually kind of a clever choice of a cover um, because it, it perfectly works for Motley Crue because if anybody's not a virgin stem right. um, and it, it sort of, I think it comes at the end of the dirt, which is sort of like, this is when we're being reborn. You know what I mean? Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. But then the, um, what's even weirder is this is a song that was in direct competition to them um, at the, at their very beginning as well. Would they have admitted that they liked this song back then? You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, it's, it takes a strong man to realize, you know, that by your senior year of college that, madonna really did write some great songs you know what i mean but not this uh, one this is written by two other guys but yeah 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 she's saying i know i know i know but i mean in terms of the stuff that that she wrote or i mean the stuff that she performed um you know i remember getting the immaculate collection as like a gift and being like this is actually really good you know and and sort of being surprised that because you know of course no no self righteous rocker ever admitted to liking madonna um but uh so i found it really kind of an interesting you know uh an interesting choice like a really interesting choice you know to sort of like say oh we're all part of the same family the significance or reinterpretation of the song um you know i i liked it I actually thought it was the most interesting thing on the whole collection, the new stuff on the dirt. what do you think, Mike? I, I agree, John. This is, I mean, this is probably my favorite new song that was on the dirt soundtrack. And it, it's not because, of, you know, well, anyway, I'll, I'll just say it, it's, to me, it's my favorite song on the dirt soundtrack, you know, that, that was new. Um, and the reason for that is I think it's, um, it's certainly up there in terms of uh, key for vocals. And I think Vince did a great job at it. Um, it always sounds like Vince you know, in his prime vocally. Um, but it's always cool when you listen to a cover tune and you're reminded of how good that song is. I mean, no matter what anybody thinks of Madonna or whoever these guys are with the song, it's a well-written song. It's a great, it's a great melody. It's catchy as all hell. Um, the pre-chorus is a great build into the chorus. That chorus structure is badass. Uh, it's dramatic. And then you got like all these minor chords in the chorus, which I didn't realize that, you know, those are minor chords, which is kind of, again, a weird thing to, to put into like a, a chorus if you're writing like a, a pop song, but it works. Um, I just love the fact that now I'm reminded of how well-written this, this song is, you know, whether it's recorded by Motley or Madonna, whoever, it's, it's a well-written song and, and you can't take, take anything away from that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's an interesting arrangement, the way that they take the chorus into kind of a halftime feel, mm-hmm. um, which I think works. Uh, and actually, I think there's a lot of parallels between Madonna and Motley Crue in terms of their career. Um, I think that, you know, in that Motley Crue in some ways is the definitive band of the 80s hard rock LA metal scene. Um, Madonna was the definitive 80s pop sex symbol. And I think both her and Motley Crue were able to uh, become that and stay relevant for a really long period of time by reinventing themselves both mm. musically and visually every two years, every time they put out a new album and a new tour right out the gate. And, you know, whether or not, you, you know, Madonna's music personally speaks to you or not, you can see that both Motley Crue and Madonna used similar approaches uh, to last longer and be successful for a longer period of time within that sphere than a lot of other bands were able to. Yeah. Yeah. And too, obviously the, the bands, you know, uh, that were you know popular in the eighties and releasing you know, things on vinyl at the time, even being a record collector, I mean, anytime you see a Motley record on a shelf in a record store, you know, it's, you know, original press or a Madonna record on the shelf, original press, those things go straight away. So they're still immensely popular you know, to this day. So. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so final uh, question then i guess is what does motley crew mean to you <laughs> uh motley crew was the first band that i grew up with in terms of being a fan uh in terms of a hard rock fan um kiss had a back catalog that i had to jump into just about any band that I really liked at that time, but they were the first one that really 
uh, spoke to me. They were the first ones that, you know, they were a new band that I could see on tour. Um, you know what I mean? Having just put out like a second album rather than Kiss was, you know, nine albums in or 12 albums in by the time I saw them. Um, I think they definitely fulfilled all my, they, they had a nice balance between I mean, they had a nice understanding of the male power fantasy that, you know, supposedly we were all keyed into at the time in terms of like uh, sex and uh, freedom and fighting authority. Um, they were. Well, I'm going to let you go, Mike, because I don't know where else. To, you know what I mean? I'm sure there's plenty more stuff I could say, but good, Mike. Um, I'll say this, um, when, when they're at their best, um, they, they definitely do well with the, you know, the less is more approach. You know, they, they're, such a, they're such a strong unit. I mean, it's really three guys and a singer. You know, you've got such a great rhythm section and you've got mixed, you know, underrated guitar playing in my opinion. Um, you know, the, he's such a mature guitar player compared to some of the other you know, people that, were, you know, that he was playing with at the time. Um, you know, Nicky's just the coolest looking guy in rock and roll. I mean, there's a lot of good looking guys in rock and roll, but Nicky's just the absolute coolest man. You know, he looks cool. He could look cool washing the car, you know, <laughs> he's a badass. But, you know, the bottom line with, with crew is I think what it means to me mostly is just, yeah, write a good song with less is more, have a good melody. And the, the, my favorite thing about Monty Crew is, you know, that sort of volume and power, you know, that they always exude and execute I, again i can't wait to see them on on the stadium tour next year because i i, I need to ex experience that again you know there was again the 89 91 tour that i saw was you know one of the loudest shows i've ever seen in my life and i'm sure hoping to see that next year man because that was that jarred me man and that was like whoa this these guys are they're just badass and it's the, only these four guys could sound like these four guys so again volume and power well-written songs and a great melody that's that's my to me yeah, I, I you know I think uh, Motley Crue is a band of four stylists. You know, uh, nobody plays drums like Tommy. Nobody plays guitar like Mick. Nobody sounds like Vince. Um, nobody writes uh, songs or lyrics like Nicky. And and so you know and put them together and you have something that's bigger than the sum of its in individual parts, um, and I think the reason why they've been around so long and are so relevant is because they can be appreciated on so many different uh, levels. You know, if you just want to appreciate them as a big, dumb, fun, uh, decadent. Hunt, sunset strip hair metal band um they can be that for you you know but as soon as you look just a little bit below the surface uh there's all kinds of interesting clever wordplay and uh interesting thoughts and subversive ideas and humor and 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 things going on below the surface so if you want to analyze them deeper and if you want to look for uh deeper stuff going on that's there too you know and no band um I mean, you could you can take tear them apart and say, oh, there's other bands that are better musicians and whatnot, right, or whatever. But you know, no band put as much effort into each aspect of what they did. They wrote the best songs of that era. They put on the most interesting stage shows. They looked the best, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a quote from Nikki. He said, I don't think people will soon forget us because we are true to our art. We live it and breathe it. We are Motley Crue 24 hours a day. And Motley Crue fans are the future presidents, politicians, leaders, and critics of tomorrow. And I, I think that kind of sums up what they said that spoke to me and what I love about them. I do think that there was a period of time where 
they could have been the next Beatles. They could have been the next Rolling Stones. Um, I don't think that they ever got there. Um, I think there's a lot of unfulfilled potential, um, but I think that they're one of the all-time great hard rock bands and probably my second favorite band of all time. So I will be there on the stadium tour and we thank everybody for joining us. Next week, we will be taking a look at Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm.